Hi, we are the ADHD Skills Lab podcast. My name is Sky, And my name is Sarah. And we will be your hosts, chatting to you about practical ADHD strategies you can use, the research behind some of these strategies, as well as interviewing other professionals with ADHD about how they've developed skills and working through struggles in their lives. You might know us from Unconventional Organization, where we talk about this kind of stuff all day long. So we're super excited to have you along and we're gonna chat through it together. So today I have the privilege of speaking to Anna Frost. Anna is a pole instructor and contortion coach that has performed for audiences at Glastonbury Festival for fashion designer Julian McDonald and the band Queen, which was completely, <laughs> I was like, okay, we need to talk about that at some point. She has been doing pole for nine years and we recently connected uh, when she started taking our ADHD Academy online courses and posting about her experiences to her followers on Instagram. So welcome. It's Thanks really so great to have you on the podcast, me. Anna. Yeah, super happy to be here. It's such an honor to be asked. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it was great. I was like, we have to talk about like what it is you do and also, yeah, a little bit about being ADHD and then doing these kind of very interesting jobs. Mm. So let's start with just where you're based. Where are you based at the moment? So I'm in Bristol in the UK. It's a really fun, fun city. There's always cool stuff going on. We currently are in the middle of summer having the most torrential rain I think I've ever seen in my life. So <laughs> maybe wouldn't recommend visiting right now, but <laughs> generally it's a lovely place to be. <laughs> I feel like that's a common experience with the UK though. People say, yeah. visit the- not right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, summer's always fun because it's always either like 800 degrees and it's so hot that you can't do anything or it's it's like it is now and yeah you're just soggy the whole time (laughs) (laughs) so when were you diagnosed with ADHD what was your diagnosis experience like so I was diagnosed when I was I think about 17 I always struggled at school as I'm sure every ADHD person that you have on this podcast says but I, I did have quite a tough time I'll I know that um, educational systems are different all across the world. So mm-hmm. what we have here is you have primary school, which is until you're about 10 or 11. And then when you're 11, 12, you go to secondary school. You do that up until 16. And then you have the choice to do your A-levels, which is higher education when you're 17 and 18. You can go to university after that. Or when you're 16, 17, you can leave school and you can do degree programs, going to work, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um The secondary school that I went to was a grammar school. And again, I'm not sure how many other countries have this. I'm not sure how much longer England will have it, to be honest. But essentially, grammar schools, you take an exam when you enter and they take the top one or two percent scorers. There's a very heavy focus on academic ability, on basically you're taken as the brightest kids they can find and the most intelligent kids they can find. And they very much try and focus on that. Interesting. So do they put those people in different schools? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's a whole different school. Um, Oh, wow. You have to apply for grammar schools. They just take the top couple of percent of people. That's the kind of school that I went to where it was an all-girls grammar school. There's a very big focus on academic performance. And it's actually funny to look back on now 
But I spent the majority of my school life on the National Gifted and Talented Register for several of my subjects and also on the school's special needs list for problems with organisation. <laughs> I, I actually relate to that. Yeah. Just always in trouble. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's funny to look back on that no one kind of went, okay, well, here's this one thing and here's this other thing. Maybe there's a problem here. Could this be a spiky profile? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe there is it. something here. Bless them, they actually hired a woman to help me with my organization. Oh. And that was a decision before maybe there's some neurospicy going on here. <laughs> <laughs> did that help? I'm curious. No. <laughs> what did that? <laughs> no. That poor woman, that poor woman must have had the most horrible time. She must have gone home to her family oh, after no. all of our meetings and been like, what is wrong with this child? <laughs> I gave her a planner. I don't Honestly, <laughs> that poor woman. Yeah, <sighs> she, God, she must have been losing their mind. But, you know, so was I. What a pleasure. So, you know, I was always in trouble at school, you know, and never did my homework. I really struggled to pay attention. Even things mm. that I really cared about, I just I couldn't. But in that kind of environment, you have someone standing over you at all times. Yes, and yeah, I was a lot of, of external accountability. Yeah, like forced to perform to the best of my ability at that time. It's always frustrating when you look back at situations like that and think about how differently your life potentially could have turned out if you'd have had a diagnosis earlier and if these things have been picked up yeah. on earlier. But the point that I had to start making decisions about further education and things like that, I decided that I wouldn't cope with university, which is a shame because, you know, I was performing incredibly well in terms of like intelligence testing and all that stuff. I was, it's not that I yeah. wasn't smart enough to go to university. I just felt like I couldn't cope with writing dissertations and just the discipline required. So I decided to go to a college, which is a lot more, I was still doing my A-levels, which is that further education piece, but it's a lot more like free form you know I was used to a school where a teacher walked in and you stood up as the teacher walked in right. like it's very formal and then you go to college and all the teachers are on first name basis it's very chill you kind of at that age where you can start kind of thinking that you're an adult so you can start having a beer in the pub <laughs> and making new friends yeah. and I just sank I just drowned that extra freedom was just I just couldn't do it that's so interesting. Yeah. You're thinking, okay, I want to get out of the place that's so restrictive. And then that was like maybe the only piece that was helpful yeah. <laughs> in terms of, yeah. I mean, I think your experience is so indicative of what it can be like to be ADHD mm -hmm. when you're younger is that sense of, and even when you're older, but that sense of drowning, but also this advice you're getting is not necessarily the advice that you need you know people mm. like will go to a different school and you're like well that made it worse or they're like yeah. this organization you're like well that organization works for you but not for me so yeah yeah so when did this all kind of culminate in realizing that it was ADHD when I went through my first year of my A-levels so A-levels you do for two years and when I got to the end of my first year 
I was struggling so much because your A-levels are made up of not just your exams, but also coursework. So throughout the year, you are creating these pieces of work. You're expected to, you know, you're given hours of free time a day. It's not free time. You're supposed to be sitting there building projects. I wasn't doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I was not doing that. <laughs> you're like, hours of oh, free God. time. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Great fun. <laughs> um, I got to a point where I was doing four or five A-levels and I was predicted A's, which is the highest grade that you could get. And I got into each and every exam and people have written on the exam desks and I'm reading the writing and there are noises outside and I can hear the sound of someone turning their page. And I'm like, what? Like, they're already a page ahead. And then I'm like, oh my God, I haven't even turned the front page. It's 40 minutes later. And instead of getting the highest marks that I was predicted, I failed all of them. And I just couldn't understand why I couldn't do it. And I had like a little bit of a a breakdown and my mum was very sheepish about this because she didn't want to upset me, but she kind of said, you know what, don't get offended, but potentially since you were quite small, we've always wondered if maybe you should go to a doctor. I think when I was younger, they'd realize like, that some... this now. <laughs> I know, bless her. What it was that she, it's funny, like you look back now, my mum is very, very, very ADHD herself. But I think when I was younger, they'd kind of gone, okay, you know, she's, something's a bit different. They're very strong special interests as a child and things like that she was kind of surrounded by people who had said oh but Anna's fun and she's unique and she's quirky and she's eccentric and like don't put a label on her so I think that was her concern she didn't want all these things that she thought were beautiful fun quirky unique personality traits to be like a label and a fault but it got to this point where she was like something is clearly not right she always tells this story about how my room as a teenager was horrendously messy, just stuff everywhere. And her and my dad kept saying, you know, you have to tidy this, you have to tidy this. And I went away for the weekend and they actually went in and tidied my room. And when I got back, they're sat there clenching their hands, thinking I was going to go nuclear because how dare they go into a teenager's bedroom and go through all their stuff. Yeah. And I was so happy and grateful. I just burst into tears and they kind of went, Aww. oh, Okay, you needed help. So the huh? work was there, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, when she said this, I was like, I don't care about labels. I just, my life is dying, just help me. So, yeah, we went to a doctor. Luckily, where I was at the time, Bristol has like an ADHD clinic. There is like a place here That's for cool. ADHD people. Bless them, I think it's about three or four year long waiting list now to speak to them. But, they, you know, that option is yeah. here. Where I was before, where I grew up, it was more like they had like a a mental health service and there was someone there who had an interest in ADHD. So I managed to be seen quite quickly and I was diagnosed quite quickly. And to start with, I chose not to be medicated. I just went, I used all these different tactics. My second round of exams, I was in a room by myself. I was wearing a little earplug so I couldn't hear anything. I was allowed to use a computer and I was given extra time so that every 10, 15 minutes I could stand up and walk around. And I managed to bring all of my grades up by several levels in in one set of exams because I managed to score so highly in the second set. And that was a game changer. It honestly, people ask a lot about 
diagnosis and stuff, I talk a lot on my Instagram about my experience with ADHD and I, I get a lot of people asking about being diagnosed and, you know, I'm not sure if I want to know. And I'm like, oh my God, please know. <laughs> you won't believe how much of a difference it will make to you and to the people yeah. around you. Just do it. <laughs> It really did for me. 100%. 100%. And I think it can be really scary, you know, to know because it's like, then what happens? But often then what happens is you get a sense of how things work specifically for you. Yeah. And I think your your story is a great example of that. Yeah. I've been diagnosed for... 12 years now and I still to this day am regularly finding stuff that helps and it's stuff that I wouldn't even know would help if it wasn't for knowing I had ADHD for example there was something it was actually in one of your podcast episodes where (laughs) one of your guests was talking about clothes and finding clothes overstimulating and I was like oh my god Oh my God, like I I spend my entire life living in baggy clothes and leggings and I thought it was just because I liked going to the gym and training, but it's just because the idea of wearing something that isn't stretchy and comfy makes me itch inside. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. So your job is, you know, like you said, you're doing sort of a lot of exercise, you work in marketing and you also provide pole and contortion instruction. So when did you start learning pole? What was that decision was it a decision? <laughs> it was, yeah. So I started pole about 10 years ago now. It's always amazed me that it stuck because God knows nothing else did. I'm classic like hobbies <laughs> and nothing ever sticks for a couple of weeks, let alone 10 years. I think with pole, I'd seen a video online of someone doing pole and just thought it was the coolest thing I had ever seen. And I was like, God, I want to be like that. You know, she was so glamorous and she was wearing these big heels. Um, she actually ended up working for Cirque du Soleil. She's a very, very cool lady. Oh, wow. Cool. But, you know, I saw a video of her and I saw how like powerful and strong and confident she looked. And I did not feel like that. I was in a really not very nice relationship, a relationship where I was made to feel bad about my body and who I was. Mm. And I saw this like powerful woman with all this confidence and these skills. I was like, God, I want to do that. So as soon as I could go to a class, I I did. And I was so frightened that I was actually late because I just sat on the floor outside in the car park and cried because I was too scared to go in. (laughs) What were you frightened of in that moment? Do you know? I was scared. I because I was on my own and like I'd not had good experiences generally in groups as a as a kid. Again, like undiagnosed ADHD. People always thought I was weird and I didn't understand why and I cared a lot at that point. I don't care now. But you know, when you're a teenager you care. And it was on my own, a group of strangers. Yeah, I definitely think a lot of us with ADHD, we have, I don't know very much about the experiences of being, you know, male with ADHD in in that kind of group. Mm. Like it might be a factor as well, but I feel like, you know, as a woman with ADHD, I've definitely experienced that feeling of being like, oh, I'm going to go in and at some point I'm going to say something and it's going to be too much. Yeah. And even <laughs> it's going to be too deep for the moment <laughs> or it's going to be too loud or something's going to happen. And that anxiety, you're right. That's totally real. Mm. Thing. Yeah. And like where you think it's gone well and then you get home and you're like, oh, did it go well? Or does now, yeah. <laughs> it was everyone just being really nice. And now they're sat there like, oh, wow, that was really weird. <laughs> 
it's that classic like, oh, that I've never thought about that before or like, oh, you're funny. And it's just like, oh, my oh, God. That, I don't know. <laughs> that kind of like slight pause and quizzical look before they go, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's like a British New Zealand Maybe. thing. <laughs> Maybe well it be. is. But yeah, that is so interesting. Um, it is actually one of the reasons why it's lovely when you do meet people who are also neurodiverse because then you're just like, oh, my God. Yeah, I can just chill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, especially as a teenager, when you go into like a new group of people, it's kind of like a test of your masking, which I was doing a lot at the time as a teenager who wasn't yeah, yeah. very self-confident and I didn't really know myself very well. So it's such a concern. And perhaps that's one of the reasons that Paul stuck is that it was so welcoming. Paul is actually very neurodiverse as a community. I was wondering because I, I had, had clients who've done poll as well. That's why I reached out to you because I had I've had clients and they've done poll and I was like, oh, this would be great, you know. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know what yeah. it is about poll, but perhaps it's because it's so welcoming. And I think also you've got to be a little bit crazy to do poll because it hurts and it's hard work. And <laughs> I think it's also a comfortable space for people where poll is still something that a lot of people have kind of odd opinions about and a lot of people still think it's mm. quite taboo and they get people get very funny about it especially on the internet and perhaps having such vindication in something that is not as seen as a little bit taboo by society maybe that's a bit validating for people with ADHD and um, like neurospicy things because you know we're so used to like society making us doubt things about ourselves that especially when we're doubting ourselves but poll you can be really sure about is very very cool so maybe that gives some kind of weird validation for us I don't know <laughs> yeah definitely definitely but you went in I, I assume did, to that first session. eventually <laughs> and it was good <laughs> yeah it just stuck again I, I expect this is something that a lot of people with ADHD get but I always I still to this day if I'm not immediately good at something I'm probably not going to do it for very long. <laughs> my ego I don't doesn't know if that's need a it. Thing. Now I'm rethinking everything I've ever done. I, <laughs> I don't be. know what it is. I've heard it yeah. referred to on the internet as gifted child syndrome, where <laughs> I, just, I obviously yeah. cannot speak to that, but necessarily. But pole, I did really struggle. It's very hard work as a sport. You know, it's physically painful in so many ways, but for me, there was just so much to think about, so much to get stuck in on. And then I was receiving this beautiful, amazing support from all the people around me yeah. for it. The, it was the one of the only things where I was like, okay, suck at this. Maybe I'll just keep on doing it. Or one of the first things at least. But yeah, yeah. I don't know why it stuck, but I'm very glad it did. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, there is a level of like, I suck at this, but I'm going to try and get better that mm. you have to often to do something really well, you do have to get to that place, that learning space. Yeah. And that can be really hard to be like, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because like maybe, okay. it's, you know, because of the masking, you know, we're so used to masking. So we're like, I've got this. I know everything and not mm. knowing everything at all. And there's a level maybe to that with learning as well, where we're like, yeah, we need to know how to do it. I heard a quote once, I think I read it in a book that always stuck out to me, which was that it's not that people 
don't want to be a beginner at something. It's that they don't want other people seeing them be a beginner. So people are much more likely to try something for the first time if they're by themselves, not out in public. That's so interesting. And yeah, yeah, as soon as I heard it, I was like, ah, that's actually really true for me that I'm very much kind of want to like hide away and practice at something until I see myself as acceptably good at it to share it off to people. And since I, since I learned that, I try and make a very conscious effort to not do that and to post videos of myself failing. Yeah. I did watch some of the videos where you didn't <laughs> to complete the whole thing. And I was like, this is, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, yay, learning. We're all doing it. It's great. It's like a physical manifestation of what it often feels like. Exactly. <laughs> so what does a day in your life look like now? Because you're like, you know, you've got your job and poll instruction and competitions and other things. Like what is... What does your days look like at this point? So, well, within the last week or so, I've tried committing to getting up way earlier so I can try and go to the gym before work, which, you know, my partner currently has a bet on with me that it would only last a week. So one more day and I've won. (laughs) Um, So I'm currently trying to get up early so that I can get up, go to the gym, get that done before my day starts. My job is like a full-time nine to five. So, you know, I'm either in the office or at home for that period of time. And then as soon as I finish work, I normally teach. So I either go to the studios, go and teach pole, or I teach uh, stretch classes from home. So I'll teach, make some dinner, and then try and get some relaxing time just sitting down. But it doesn't always work like that. I often teach and then do my own training and then end up eating dinner at like nine, ten o'clock, which I'm sure my body loves, but... <laughs> Sounds like a really intense day. Yeah. yeah. And there's so much so many other things that I want to do as well. Like with my time, you know, I would love to do some more content creation stuff. I'd love to create stretch videos that people can follow along on YouTube. I'd love to create more content for my students. But at some point I have to get some sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> Says everybody. Yeah. Like that's just a constant ADHD. You're like, oh sleep. It's okay, so fine. inconvenient <laughs> to have to sleep. If I if I didn't have to sleep. I would get so much stuff. No, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably just end up sitting down. <laughs> no, you probably just, everyone would be like, this is how much you're supposed to do in a day. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, <laughs> just be stuck on the sofa and like, just yeah, like yeah. that <laughs> panic of I really need to get to do something. So. If you find these strategies really helpful, I recommend that you subscribe to our podcast so that you get them every week when we launch a new episode. And that kind of brings us a little bit to, you know, we connected when you started trying the unconventional organizations online courses. So what were, I mean, your life sounds very busy and very intense. What were the kind of things you were looking for when you did reach out and start trying these things, this different way of learning? Well, I'd gotten to a point where I was just really struggling. You know, I sometimes get these periods of my life where I feel very, very like overwhelmed where it feels, you know, my body is still like, I'm just sat at my desk and, you know, I'll be sat there like scrolling through Facebook and inside it feels like my body is like fighting. It feels like I'm screaming and throwing stuff around and my body's just like frozen. Like I'm trapped in this like actual, like physical prison. And, um, I just couldn't get 
out of that. And I was just, I had these different like strategies and tactics that were working for me. Like I found that I was able to get more stuff done if I had my shoes on, like really stupid stuff. But I just, <laughs> could I get up and go and put my shoes on? No. And it was almost like, oh, I have these strategies that might work for me. But then thinking about, oh, if I do that and it works and I'm just going to be sat at my desk doing this work for the next four hours, like Mm -hmm. even that process of thinking about it was just exhausting to the point where I almost didn't want to do it. I just felt exhausted all the time. And, um, you know, like I said, in Bristol, we have this ADHD clinic. They're great. And um, I'd reached out to them and been like, I really need help. You know, I'm getting to yeah. a point where I'm having, I feel like I'm having panic attacks. Like it felt like I was getting this thing where anytime that I needed to do something, I felt instantly so exhausted, tired that I felt like I needed to have a nap. Like it felt, I was sat like googling narcolepsy and stuff because I was like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. And bless them, they had a university student there who was training as a, as a psychotherapist and she was doing work experience and they were like, well, do you want to try and talk to this poor student? <laughs> and bless her, she was great. We were talking it through, talking through about, um, went through CBT and we were talking about all these different mm-hmm. things about core beliefs and what happens if you, mm-hmm. you're not trying stuff because you know, you're so used to this experience of ADHD where all of your teachers and your parents and things for years since you're a kid have said, oh, if you just applied yourself, you'd be great. Are you worried that if you did apply yourself and it wasn't great that you'd then let down 30 years of people and like very deep stuff. And when that ended, I kind of felt like I had more of an understanding of why I was experiencing and doing certain things, but I still didn't have specific tactics that were like, I wasn't even looking for fail-safes because I don't think that's possible for ADHD, but I was just looking Mm -hmm. for something that was more in-depth and more reliable than put your shoes on to sit at home and work. (laughs) And I actually heard a podcast that you did with, I think it was with Eric Tivers, where you're talking about organizing like your work life. There was something you said about, you know, on a Friday, taking yourself out for a nice lunch to plan your week. And um, (laughs) I was listening to to you talk about the planning process and I was like, wow, that is fascinating. And I I wrote it all down (laughs) and I tried it for a bit. And it was one of the first things that I'd found that worked. Eventually I got to a point where I was like, okay, really struggling. I can't seem to fix this problem, but I feel like my life is just falling around, like around my ears and I just can't do anything about it, which is when I signed up for the courses because I didn't know where else to go. And it was, it was such a funny thing because I think the very first one that I did was about sustaining focus during boring tasks. And I was like, I cannot (laughs) believe that this isn't required reading for absolutely everyone (laughs) who deals with ADHD because I was like, the advice just makes so much sense that I was Mm kind of listening. I was like, duh, I can't believe that people have spent so long telling me about the Pomodoro technique and not that maybe the reason that you're sad and struggling is because you have no dopamine in your body and you're actually allowed to do something fun without feeling guilty about it. I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so much of it is like bringing in that fun, bringing in that dopamine. It is really tough because so many times we've tried so many things. Like you Mm. said, we have people say, you just need to try the thing, but harder. It's like applied yourself. Can you try the thing, but just try it harder? And it's very frustrating to be like, no, I need to try it in a different way. Mm. But no one knows what that different way is because you have to have ADHD to have, you have to be in that. I mean, because I personally, I'm in that brain all the time. Like a lot of the stuff that we developed 
yes, there was research behind it and that's completely true, but it's also just stuff that was like, well, this got me off the couch and it got like 50 other people off the couch and there's research behind it. So I guess again, you know, let's just keep, keep building it. And that's really interesting to hear that that was your experience. And that was the first one you did because that yeah. is the one I use probably the most. It was the one well. I desperately needed so much help with. It's funny as yeah. well because there's so much that I learned about the core kind of concepts that you teach in those courses where I was kind of able to almost expand it in different ways into my own life. Like I found that I was going through all these different things to try and get some dopamine. And I started going for YouTube videos and I started finding all these like cleaning videos that I found really satisfying. And then I Mm -hmm. suddenly was hyper-focusing on cleaning. I was like, (laughs) oh my God, I can actually hack my hyper-focus by watching some fun, interesting (laughs) YouTube videos. And they're going to make me want to do stuff that I really don't want to do. How interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You start becoming an experimenter in your own life. Um, yeah, exactly. You just need some basic like tools to get you started so that you can start shifting things around and experimenting because it is a, a, an ongoing process of experimentation. I found the other thing that was really helpful was the permission to do it. You know, I think there's a lot of times where there's very specific things that work for your brain, but they're not things that are kind of normal advice for people. They're not things that like neurotypical people need to do. And there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, oh, well, I need to do it things this specific way because that's how everyone else does it. And then actually being given permission to actually, it's okay if you do something that other people might not do. Mm-hmm. Like having that permission to experiment in that way and not to feel like I was being cheeky or making it up was really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. And a hundred percent, you know, I always say bend, break, you know, do whatever you need to do. Know which bits are better to break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. But but definitely, yeah, making it your own is so fun because then you can do things like go off and hyper focus on cleaning and do other things like that for sure. Yeah, so exactly. what are your kind of ADHD go-to strategies now? What are the things that that are your sort of touchstones, if you will? My first thing is is the dopamine thing. Like I use the stepped dopamine pathway a lot. And I find that really, really helpful because I'm someone who struggles a lot with it, my executive dysfunction. And I think something that a lot of people I've noticed don't seem to understand about it is how it affects things that you even want to do. I want to go and train pole, but sometimes I just can't, I can't make myself. And I'm, that's almost more frustrating because like, I know that I want to do it. So why can't I? And realizing that that was maybe just because I'd just been doing really boring draining things for a really long time. And that actually <laughs> it was okay if I wanted to yeah. sit and watch a video or I wanted to go and have like a little dance party. And again, like having the permission to do those things, I found so helpful. And like, especially in the morning before work, like, oh my God, I'm allowed to have fun in the morning. Are you sure? Like, <laughs> that's that been, a, that's been a big one for everyone. I think that's kind of... A... <laughs> Isn't that so sad though, that yeah. we just as a society are just like, oh no, mornings aren't for fun. God. <laughs> Um, (laughs) The other thing that I've done, which I rely on so much, is that as much of my life as physically possible is completely automated at this point. You know, you always hear people talking about, you know, chat GPT and all these AIs and they're like, oh God, Skynet, like the robot's going to take over the world. And I'm like, take it, take my life. (laughs) It's much better in the hands of robots. So, you know, all of my finances are automated. I have the most 
complicated yet uncomplicated financial system ever. <laughs> you know, I yeah. get all of my money is like split out and it gets sent to me automatically on the one card that I use. So I can't overspend each week. Just loads of stuff. Loads of stuff is completely automated for me. I have spreadsheets that I fill in, templates that I fill in, all this stuff. And I found that the mental load of all the stuff I have to do every day, like being able to give that away to little AIs and stuff has been great. Yeah. Highly recommend yeah. just giving your life to Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I use a lot is probably to the majority of people, the amount of like physical exercise I do is probably mm-hmm. quite extreme for a lot of people. But personally, I find that if I don't do that, I always describe it as having the zoomies. <laughs> I just feel like I get the zoomies but like just trapped inside my body it feels like I'm sat there all heavy but the inside of my body is like vibrating and wanting to run around everywhere and sometimes that trapped nervous energy if I don't like expend it by doing doing something physical turns into like problems with my executive dysfunction I just can't do anything regular gym sessions walks outside training pole I do like gymnastics I was doing roller skating for a bit I just anything kind of physical and fun I find helps just take that layer of energy off which is great (laughs) yeah definitely definitely and I think a lot of people feel similarly about that definitely wanting to get get outside get that dopamine I mean we know it supports our working memory as well from the research that's a huge factor is just being able to be like right now I'm gonna do it (laughs) just gonna go for a little run and do something silly for a little bit (laughs) just run myself around the house (laughs) it helps whatever works Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, how specifically would you say these ADHD strategies helped you as a pole instructor? Because a lot of people, I think, are very interested in what that what that looks like in terms of doing pole, but teaching pole specifically as well. Teaching pole is always a, a funny one with ADHD because I always had... <laughs> my students are going to hear this and be like, oh my God. But I always had all these grand designs <laughs> that I was going to, you know, plan things really far in advance so that everyone goes right. through this like pathway yeah. of, you know, they build up all these tricks that they learn. And I do find that a lot of my like lesson planning of like what tricks we're going to do, I kind of turn up and I see who's in the class and I'm like, hey, maybe you would like this thing, which might sound like a little bit silly. I know like a lot of other instructors don't work that way. You know, the majority of people you go to their class, they've got a whole thing planned out for you. But you know, I'll walk in and I'll remember that someone requested a move like three weeks ago that I totally forgot about. And I'm like, well, we could just do that. And actually that would then fit in with the move that I was going to teach you anyway. So we could do that as a combo and then we can mix that together. And I keep track of everything in a notebook so that I don't then the next week have exactly the same thing. <laughs> You're like, oh, you would like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But that I find works really well for me because I, I did try the whole thing of planning eight weeks in advance, but I found that I like to go off on tangents. You know, people will try yeah. something. It will remind me of something else. You know, maybe we have to stick with a move for a little bit longer than I have planned. So we don't have time to do the whole lesson plan. And then I yeah. found that that like little change to my plan was suddenly felt like a big deal. You know, if I had like a move yeah. that I was planning on getting to and then that led into something the next week, but we didn't get to it. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's just messed up everything. So now what am I supposed to do? And that was causing yeah. me so much more stress than just giving myself flexibility to do what my body wanted, what my students' bodies wanted. And it made me be able to be a lot more like fun with what I was doing. I find that 
before we we did this podcast, I, I asked some of my students about if they not if they noticed my ADHD because I think it's probably quite obvious. Um, but you know <laughs> what it was like being taught by someone with ADHD versus someone who wasn't. I asked if there were many differences, and every single one of them commented on explaining stuff because I think maybe it's just being distracted like when I'm doing moves I can feel everything like I feel every part of my body that's doing something my brain can kind of switch around all of those different things when I explain moves to people I'm mentioning every single thing that I feel I'm sure for some people it's confusing it's like over explaining but um for me I found that I explain these things it helps me think of the move it helps them think of things they might not have thought of before and they all said they find it really really helpful all those little tangents and stuff so I actually try yeah. not to worry too much about my ADHD teaching I try not to stress about am I organized enough for classes have I done this have I done that because I know that my students actually really appreciate what it brings to my teaching style you know, there's times where I've gone to take meds like just before, but I would rather they had the experience. So it sounds like from what you're saying that there is, we talk a lot about with ADHD, we talk about that flexibility and, you know, having that flexibility of like, yes, I have a plan. I have that basis, but I'm also going in and being myself. And, and there's a lot of context. And it sounds like you found one of them where being yourself with ADHD is, it's a bonus. And that's great. You know, I think yeah. podcasting is another one of them, which is really great. One of the things I love about these conversations. Yeah, I think definitely it really helps my teachers. There are obviously negatives. I teach online a lot and um, my students will get recordings. And I found that the sending out of recordings is the one thing I can't automate. <laughs> and bless them, you know, they'll be like, hey, Anna, have you sent out that recording from like five days ago? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so you know bless them they do have to put up with that yeah. as well but generally yeah I found that allowing myself to be flexible and knowing that that's okay and that's not something to be something to be ashamed of that I haven't I couldn't tell you what we're doing in two weeks time yeah no letting yourself be yourself no that's awesome mm, so exactly. what would you say to somebody else who's starting to pursue a similar path with ADHD. Maybe it's not pole, maybe they're teaching something else, but there's a sort of similar, they've got the full-time job and they're also trying to do this sort of physical, creative teaching career on top of it. Do you have any advice? <laughs> any words of encouragement? It's going to be okay. Make sure you eat lots of food is my main one. <laughs> um, I found that I have to not just block time out, but have very, very regular blocked time in order to do all of those things that I want. So I am so tight and specific on my routines. And don't get me wrong, I hate them. Like, oh, it's nothing more infuriating than the fact that I have to live my life by this very set. Like I have 15 timers set up on my phone to run my life. It's frustrating. And every time an alarm goes off to tell me the next thing to do, I want to punch my phone. Um, (laughs) But I find that if I don't do that, nothing gets done. You know, I have to make sure that at 7pm on a Tuesday, this is what I do, something very specific. The other thing, again, I don't know how many things this would apply to necessarily, but when I started teaching and started pole and stuff, there was so much that was so exciting that it was easy to like run away and start getting really carried away with like learning new tricks or my students would request tricks. I'd be like, yeah, we'll do that. And not mm-hmm. laying the foundations. 
no one likes doing the basics. The basics are boring and that kind of repetition of those basics is boring, but trying to make basic fundamental things of your sport, your craft, whatever it is that you're Mm -hmm. teaching, trying to make them as fun as possible so that you actually are solid in them them yourself rather than getting excited and like doing the next big thing is really, really important, not just for you, but for your students as well, because those basics are super super important and for me when I started pole I didn't want to do like I did all my beginner stuff and then when I got to the point of starting to progress I wanted to progress really far really quickly and that meant that several years down the line when I was starting to teach I was like oh actually people really need all this stuff that I personally have skipped in the middle so I had to go back and relearn (laughs) loads and stuff and it's just easier if find a way at the time. <laughs> yeah. It definitely makes you better at what you do. I think having to teach it for definitely. sure and having that, but like you said, bringing in that dopamine, like making the basics fun, not just for other people, but for yourself as well. Definitely. Yeah. Cause you know, with pole, you have to be quite strong and you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people will do things like crunches. There are very basic strength exercises that people do and they are just so boring. So for me, <laughs> you know, if I sit there and I hold the pole and I bring my knees up to my chest 10 times in a row, yeah. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. So I then was trying to like dance was much more fun to me. So then to walk and do my conditioning, I was trying to dance those movements and do kind of like freestyle dances where I was including moves that are hard on your core so that I could build that strength. Because if the only option was like not fun ones, I would not be doing that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you can always add a podcast. Love exactly. A podcast. Good fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about them so much. And I know that you talked about them in social media as well. It's it's funny because I never listened to podcasts. I always thought that podcasts had to be an extra opportunity to learn something. So if I zoned out for a second and missed something, I was like, well, there's no point. So finding podcasts that I found funny and were like low pressure, just silly podcasts was so helpful. <laughs> Yeah. And giving yourself permission as well. Mm. I think that's one of the things that is interesting about you. Like I'm paying for a course and this course is telling me that I get to have fun. <laughs> Honestly, like I said, it's, it's such a shock. I think for me, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have experienced this. I spent so long with people being disappointed in me, people feeling like I wasn't reaching my full potential, people feeling like, I was lazy or I just couldn't be bothered or that I was wasting my life. I always felt like I had to be presenting a very specific version of myself. I had to be on the go all the time. I had to be successful. Otherwise I was either going to be in trouble, which is a weird feeling to have as an adult that sometimes you're scared to do stuff because you don't want to be told off. But I just didn't want people to almost agree with thinking that I was being lazy because I was sitting and watching something silly on TV. So being allowed to do that and finding how much it really helped my brain and being able to be like, well, it's fine because Sky said I could. <laughs> it's been very great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I sanctioned that. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I think it is it is one of those things and it's really nice. We give each other permission and we, we give each other strategies as well. Exactly. <laughs> I just have a few last questions for you. One of them is, tell us about one professional achievement that you're most proud of. 
I've done some some really cool things, but I'm, I've been so lucky with Pole to have had some really, really incredible opportunities. As you said at the beginning, I've been able to perform in these incredible places, these incredible people. But honestly, my proudest achievement is one that might seem a bit silly in comparison to that. But um, I was teaching a beginner's pole class, which I don't teach many beginners for, for pole. So it's amazing to be able to be part of their journey. And it was, I looked around, we were doing a move that is quite a hard move for beginners. Um, it's called inversing. It's literally going upside down on the pole. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and I realized that all these people who were trying it for the very first time were fully upside down with like beautiful positioning and beautiful control. Yeah. And it's a move that I learn in not a very well-structured way and it took me a really long time to get it and a really long time to get it looking nice and it was looking around at everyone and being like the research that I've done the time I've put into this the things that I've learned have meant that this whole room of people their pole journey is going to go almost an entirely different way to how my own did and that felt amazing being able to know that that was due to time and effort that I put in researching and being a nerdy, just sitting there reading all this stuff. <laughs> it felt great. And it means so much to be like, Pole is such an incredible space for so many people. And being able to make them feel like that is just, it's just everything. It's everything you want to yeah. extract there. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's so true. So my other question is, is there a professional failure that embarrasses you and how did you deal with it? <laughs> you know what? I am one, just one of those people, embarrassing stuff happens to me all the time. You know, I've, I <laughs> fell over on stage at Glastonbury in eight inch heels. Um, wow. I, those, I cannot even imagine how you got up. <laughs> well, it took me a really long time to hit the floor. You know, it was one of those yeah, things yeah. where I took like five steps and every single step my ankle went, it was, <laughs> oh gosh. um, you know, I've accidentally tied my boots together on stage upside down and had someone had to come and rescue me. Wow. Um, one of the very first classes I taught, I got to the end. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast, but I got to the end of the class and I said goodbye to everyone. I looked down and my, my nipple was poking out of my top. And I had no awareness of whether it had been like that for like two minutes or like the entire hour long class. It's a very extreme version of (sighs) do I have something in my teeth? (laughs) Literally. I was like, did no one notice or were they too embarrassed to tell me? (laughs) So that kind of stuff happens to me all the time. But I think one of the beautiful things, and I'm going to blame this on being an ADHD thing, is that I am so forgetful that it's really easy for me to compartmentalize this kind of stuff. Something embarrassing happens and I'm like, well, in a week I'll have forgotten about it don't get me wrong in in 10 years time someone will bring it up and I will be mortified but unless it's brought up I'm just gonna forget about it just gonna keep going (laughs) keep on going I'll do something else embarrassing in a bit and I'll think about that instead (laughs) yeah no 100% and if you had an ADHD life motto and you know it doesn't have to be the motto it could just be our motto what would it be I can't take credit for this one. This is something that I think it was Connor DeWolf on TikTok was talking about mm-hmm. a lot. But he always says, follow the dopamine. And yeah. I love that because, you know, I'm a serial hobby switch. My hobby is having hobbies. Um, and <laughs> I always do that thing where I get really, really into something and I spend hundreds of pounds like buying all of the stuff to be able to do it. And I'm like, this is me. This is my career. This is my life. And then two weeks yeah. later, I'm so bored. And, you know, I just end up with these piles of things that mm-hmm. I bought for hobbies that I did for 10 days. 
And there was a long time where I was like, God, what is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? It's so annoying. And focusing on that kind of follow the dopamine thing, I was just like, you know what? This is my thing for now. I don't know how long it's going to last for, but that's okay. Yeah. And I'll either keep hold of that stuff because probably mm-hmm. in four or five years time, I'll loop back around to it, which I find happens a lot. Or I found a group that's called like ADHD Hobby Swap, where people who also do that exact yes. same thing, just like they just send each other all of this stuff. <laughs> and that's, that's been great. Yeah. And you know what? You're probably just going to be happier if you do it and you just lean fully in and you accept that it might be a couple of weeks, it might be a couple of years, it, it might last forever but there's no point trying to hold back because sometimes I don't know if you've ever had this but sometimes when I like find a new hobby or a new obsession I'm like oh well I better not do that every single day I better try and like balance it out because I don't want to be crazy obsessive about it and then forget about it and just being like actually I'm not gonna have as much fun if I try and limit that so I might as well just like suck all of the dopamine out of this that I possibly can (laughs) and then when it's empty I'll just try and get a new thing it's made life much easier (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah, I think I, I do a similar thing. I think um, obviously with finances in mind, because I have spent a lot of money on hobbies that I don't have anymore. <laughs> Although I do often think about the idea of, I think somebody else said this, which was that trying hobbies is my hobby. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's so much and fun I think to try hobbies. It's a very legitimate <laughs> hobby. <laughs> People always look at you like you're mad if you say it, but it's very true. <laughs> Yeah. And you can try a lot of things. And like you said, with pole and other things, you know, sometimes something sticks and you're like, whoa, it's still here. Yeah. What <laughs> <That's shock>. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it becomes this amazing thing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and taking Thanks the time to share your story. This has been great. Your skills. Yeah. It's been <laughs> wonderful to have you. So if people are interested in working with you and learning more about you, where can they find you? I live my entire life on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Frost Dance. You can also find stretch stuff on Flexi with Frosty, which both have a Y at the end. But I'll be honest, I worked really hard on that for like two weeks and I forgot about it. But you never know. Go and have a look at Flexi at Frosty. Maybe I'll start dating at some point. (laughs) (laughs) But Frost Dance, I'm always there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, it's really wonderful to have you, Anna. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out or connect with us, you can leave us a message at admin at unconventionalorganization.com. You can also find out more about our ADHD coaching organization, read our free articles, or sign up to our online courses at unconventionalorganization.com. That's organization with a Z or an S. They both will get you there. If you'd like to learn more about what we discussed here today, or you want to read the transcript, you can find that at our show notes page at unconventionalorganization.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast and think someone else might find the strategies and stories helpful, the best thing you can do is share episodes using the share button in the podcast player or leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or your podcast player of choice, letting them know why you've benefited from this podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you back in the ADHD lab next week.